Ben has been uh, very much a part of the Vine's conception and uh, is kind of a friend of the program, if you will. And so he has watched us kind of grow and walk and move. And Ben is now head of the 111 Project, which is an advocacy um, organization for foster care, adoption, and orphans. And he's going to share with us some very compelling reasons why this issue is at the heartbeat of the gospel and at the heartbeat of the call of the church. And then I'll explain to you how we're going to take this part on as our piece as we think about the Advent conspiracy. So, Ben, why don't you come up and share with us this morning? Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Good morning. How's it going? That's where you say good or not good, all right? How's it going? Good. It's wonderful to be here. Um, as Treb mentioned, I am a friend of the program. I'm just not a big money friend of the program, I guess, but maybe one day. But um, before we kind of dive in, I, I took the opportunity to do this in the 9 o'clock, and I want to do so again here. I just want to um, encourage you, um, whether you've been a part of the Vine from the beginning or perhaps this is your first week, um, you've kind of found that not just this place but this people um, I just want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. Um, what you're up to is, is really good and encouraging from an outside um, perspective. I'm a, I'm a fan of church planting in general, but I'm even more specifically a fan of church planting in urban contexts. And so again, commend you for um, identifying um, an area and a part of town, a neighborhood or neighborhoods even, um, where you're going to break yourself open and pour yourself out on behalf of others. And on, and on behalf of others who are in desperate need, um, in desperate need of that. So, um, good job. You're doing really well. Now keep it up, right? Um, don't grow weary um, in doing good like Scripture encourages us. But at the proper, just right time, like you'll continue to, to reap a harvest if you, if you don't get up. I was just thinking, if you don't give up, rather, I was thinking about as we were singing... Um, Something I heard or read this week that was talking about the fact that a lot of times um, the business of the church um, replaces the mission of the church. And I can just say that it's true of you that um, you've not allowed that to happen thus far. Um, That the business of the church or the business of doing church um, is not getting in the way of the mission of the church. So again, I would just encourage and challenge you to keep those things... um, in the right order and keep giving yourself to the mission um, of the church that's laid out before us in scripture through the life and the teachings um, of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So you're doing great. Love this place. Um, This morning, um, we're going to lean into an issue. And from the get-go, I just kind of want to let you know, like, we're going to lean into a difficult issue. Um, And you're probably going to experience some kind of uncomfortableness Um, And you're probably going to be prone to want to back away from the issue. But I'm just going to encourage you from the get-go, as you feel things stir um, and you're discomforted, I'm going to just encourage and ask you continue to lean in um, to the issue nonetheless. So a little bit of this is going to feel like my journey um, that I'm projecting on you, but that's not really the case. Um, what I feel like in and through this issue that we're going to lean into this morning, I feel like it's something that God would have all of us lean into um, in this season in our city, in the season of the life of the church, big C. Um, and I think there's a role and a responsibility that each one of us have. That little baby is awesome, by the way. Um, 
to lean into uh, to lean into this issue. I'm typically not a big numbers guy, but I think in this particular instance, there are some numbers that I'm going to kind of lean on um, throughout this morning um, that will help us kind of with some points of reference, and I think they'll also help us understand um, kind of the basic framework of this issue and also the scope of this issue. Um, so with that, we're going to jump right into number for the first number, and it's this, 163 million. Be curious to know if that's at all familiar um, to you, 163 million. And I don't suspect that it is, so you don't need to feel badly about yourself for going like, what in the world does that number mean? 163 million. Anybody? 163 million is the estimated number of orphans around the world today. 163 million. Many are referring to this as a global orphan crisis. And I think that the church, by and large, has done a relatively decent, I won't call it good or great, but I'll call it relatively decent, a a relatively decent job of being engaged in what people are calling this global orphan crisis. We're aware of the fact that there probably are some orphans around the world someplace, right? And that we have some role and responsibility as the people of God to engage and care for them and meet their needs. Is that, is that a familiar idea to you, right? We, we know that orphans exist. We have this kind of general sense that we're supposed to somehow participate um, in meeting their needs. And a lot of times, uh, you know, in and through the church, that looks like overseas mission endeavors, Um, whether it's for two days, two weeks, two months, two years, that's a great thing. Sometimes it looks like raising money to build an orphanage or a health clinic or a school or something like that. And oftentimes, you know, maybe many of you participate in a child sponsorship program where you contribute $30 a month to Compassion International or World Vision or maybe some other organization through a denomination or so on and so forth. And we write letters back and forth to these kids somewhere around the world, and maybe at Christmas we'll send them a little extra gift or something like that. All wonderful, wonderful things. Again, we're somewhat aware of the fact that there is a global orphan crisis. But did you know? I think this is kind of one of the most important questions or ideas that I'll throw out there this morning is kind of this, but did you know we have a local orphan crisis? It's called foster care. Now, in developing nations, the idea of kind of an orphan crisis is right out there in front of us. If we've ever traveled overseas, like the face of poverty typically is the face of a child, right? And they're on the street corner, and they're not in school, and they're not well-clothed, and they're not well-fed, and they're typically the ones begging, and they're not in school, and we can't figure out what's going on. You know, the face of poverty in developing nations is typically the face of an orphan child. And so we can understand kind of the global orphan crisis. But this local orphan crisis is much more hidden. The face of poverty, the face of an orphan crisis here in the United States, it's not necessarily the face of an orphan child as we see it in developing parts of the world. And our institutions and our systems and our responses to this crisis, in in many ways it hides the people, and in this case, the children who make up the issue. But I would contend to you this morning that we are very much in the middle of a good old-fashioned emergency. 
and that we have a local orphan crisis known as foster care. In our country right now, as you and I sit here together today, there are 400,540 boys and girls in the United States foster care system. 400,540 boys and girls in the foster care system. Which begs the question, why are kids in foster care? And there are, pri- there are three primary reasons or a combination of three. And they are abuse, neglect, and abandonment. So the government has intervened in the life of a family, in the relationship between a parent and a child, and they've deemed this is no longer a safe secure place for this child to be reared, for this child to live. These are not people for whom we can trust this relationship any further without kind of some supervision. And so in our country, 400,000 plus boys and girls have been removed from their home, separated from their parents, sibling groups split apart, and they've entered into what we call the foster care system. And there are 400,540 of these boys and girls. I think it's important that we understand why our kids in foster care, and again, it's for abuse, neglect, and abandonment, because it's important for us to know that these kids are victims in the purest, truest sense of the word. These kids have not come into foster care at any fault of their own. In fact, there was this kind of national study that I came across that was trying to kind of tap into what do people in general know about foster care, and one of the questions that was kind of presented in the study was why, are, why do kids enter into foster care? And upwards of 40% of people thought that p- kids enter into foster care essentially because they're juvenile delinquents, which would mean what? That they've done something wrong. But that's not the case at all. I can't kind of underscore the fact that these kids are in foster care at no fault of their own. They are victims of abuse, neglect, and abandonment. What, what do I do? That's awesome. I thought I was going to get to play the piccolo or something. Um, So 400,540 boys and girls um, in the foster care system right here in our country. Of those 400,000 plus boys and girls, there are 104,236 of those kiddos that are quote unquote adoptable. This word adoptable, it, it essentially means that the parental rights have either been terminated or relinquished, and these kiddos are never going home. And again, as we sit here in this moment, there are 104,236 kiddos who are adoptable. So, if they're not adopted, there are only a couple of options that remain for them, right? They're either going to be adopted, if they're adoptable, if they're no, no longer going home, like if that's no longer an option, they're now adoptable, And the hope is that many of them, all of them, will be adopted and placed in what many call a forever family. But if that adoption doesn't take place, they're going to remain in the foster care system, and I would suggest languish at best, or they're going to age out of foster care at 18. Every year in our country, between 20 and 30,000 young men and women age out of foster care at 18. Last year, there were 27,000 young men and women who aged out of foster care at 18 without a family, without a home, without any sense of belonging or place. This people group in particular, those young men and women who age out of foster care, they experience every social issue imaginable at a much, much higher rate. 
we could spend the next 20, 30 minutes each taking our turn, kind of rattling off this social issue or that social issue from incarceration to addiction, from homelessness to joblessness, food insecurity, generational poverty. I mean, fill in the blank. Young men and women who aged out of foster care, in this particular case, the 27,000 young men and women who aged out last year in this country will experience each and every social issue at a much, much higher rate. Here's one example. So take education. So on average, 50 plus percent of young men and women who age out, of fo- age out of foster care will have dropped out of high school compared to 9% of the general population. 50%, 9%, much higher rate. Of those that do graduate high school or get a GED or some kind of equivalence, only 2% will go on to obtain a two-year college degree or higher. So you've got education as kind of a manifestation. Well, if you're uneducated or undereducated, you're probably going to have some employment challenges, right? At 21, the median annual income for a young man or woman who is aged out of foster care is $5,400. How far does $5,400 go in a given year? Not far. So now you have an income issue, which leads to what? A housing issue, a food security issue. I mean, just on and on and on we could go. So again, 27,000 young men and women aged out of foster care in this country um, last year. Let's talk about Oklahoma um, for a few minutes. Last year, state fiscal year 2011, Next number I want to share with you is 103,143. Last year, 103,143 boys and girls in our state, so we're not talking about somewhere else around the world. We're not even talking about national numbers. We're talking about the state of Oklahoma. Last year, 103,143 boys and girls were alleged to be victims of abuse and neglect. 103,143. That number should just have some sticker shock to you, you know, kind of at face value, that over 100,000 kiddos in our state were alleged to be victims of abuse and neglect. Well, let me do just a quick comparison um, for you. I was in a kind of a child welfare meeting with people from DHS and political types and other nonprofit organizations, and one of the presenters there that day was a guy by the name of John Mattingly, and, and, and John is the former commissioner of child welfare for New York City. And throughout his remarks, he mentioned that on any given year in New York City, there were around 65,000 boys and girls who were alleged to be victims of abuse and neglect. And that got my attention because I had just read DHS's annual report that said over 100,000 boys and girls in our state on any given year, were alleged to be victims of abuse and neglect. So that got my attention. So I pulled out my phone. I Googled, like, what's the population of New York City? It's 8.3 million people. So you've got 8.3 million people, 65,000 kids alleged to be victims of abuse and neglect. I performed a similar Google search and found out that the population of the state of Oklahoma is 3.7 million people. So here you have 8.3 million people, 65,000 kids, 3.7 million people over 100,000 kids. And what that did for me in that moment, it reinforced what I was already beginning to know, that we have a massive problem in terms of the way our kiddos are being cared for in this state. 
you may or may not be aware, but year after year in Oklahoma, we rank pitifully low in terms of the overall well-being of our children. Again, from education issues to safety to poverty to food insecurity. I mean, again, fill in the blank. As those issues relate and negatively impact children, we rank pitifully low year after year after year. In the past three years, we've ranked 44th, 43rd, and 40th. And so while we are showing some signs of improvement, I do want to also point out to you that we still rank in the bottom 10 in terms of the overall well-being of our children. Why does this matter? Well, it's more than a, it's more than a social issue. It's more, something, it's more than something that we need to just throw money and time and energy at. It's more than something that we just need to be, kind of raise awareness over. There's this idea from former South African president Nelson Mandela. He says this, There is no keener revelation of the condition of a society than the way in which it treats its children. Now, I'm a wordy guy, and that's a mouthful, so I want to say it again. There is no keener revelation of the condition of a society than the way in which it treats its children. So if that's true and I believe it to be, how are we doing as a society? The answer is not well. So these issues and how children are being cared for in our cities and in our state and in our society, they actually reveal to us the true condition of our city. So we live in a time in Oklahoma City where there are wonderful things happening, and I am thankful for them, and I celebrate them, and I benefit from them on a regular basis. So don't hear me being all Debbie Downer about what's happening in the life of Oklahoma City because I love it. But if you were to only kind of take it at surface value, and if you were only to go to the Chamber of Commerce website and read all of the recent accolades from top this, best this, top ten this, I mean... We're as healthy as healthy can be by earthly standards. But if this idea and this premise that Mandela has set forth is actually true, and again, I believe that it is, like, are we really as healthy as we think we are? And again, I would contend to you this morning that we're in fact sick and perhaps fatally so. But these, these issues that are negatively affecting children and the overall well-being of children in their state... It's not, just, it's not just revealing to us the condition of our society as a whole, our cities, our state. I believe that the issues facing children in this state at this time actually reveal the true condition of the church. There's this idea from the late Chuck Colson. He says that culture is religion incarnate. And if you have a sick culture, it's because you have a sick church. And so what's going on out here is not just indicative and reflective of the condition of society, it is actually indicative and reflective of the condition of the church in a particular place at a particular time. And so we can't just kind of stick our nose up in the air at society's norms and values and practices because that's not what this is about. What's happening out here is really reflecting what's happening in here, right? And if society is not well, it's because the church is not well. So 103,143 boys and girls in our state last year alleged to be victims of abuse 
and neglect. Why is that important? Because again, that's why and how kids come into foster care. On January the 1st, we took a snapshot, and that snapshot revealed that there were 8,308 boys and girls in foster care right here in the state of Oklahoma, 8,308, again, for reasons of abuse, neglect, and abandonment. The most kind of uh, acute manifestation of, of of the needs surrounding foster care, I think, is found in the fact that Throughout our state, in a series of shelters, and I'm not talking about shelters like City Rescue or Salvation Army or the Jesus House or the Y or anything like that. I'm talking about a series of shelters that are specifically designated for boys and girls that are in foster care. And every night in our state, on average, there are around 250 boys and girls that will call one of those shelters home. I've yet to have anybody from the governor all the way through DHS to social workers and child welfare professionals. I mean, from the top to the bottom, I've yet to have anybody kind of take me to task on this point. That the only reason these 250 boys and girls will spend a single night in one of these shelters is because there are not enough foster families. There are not enough people, moms, dads, husbands, wives, individuals, men, women, who have been prepared and are willing, ready, and able to welcome these boys and girls into their heart and into their home and love them as their own. And so as a result, tonight, 250 boys and girls will call a shelter that's run by the government home. That will be family. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that just isn't right. It's not okay. Anybody disagree with me on that one? One of these shelters, it exists right here in Oklahoma City, so let's even kind of get more specific. This isn't a global issue. This isn't a national issue. This isn't a statewide issue. This is like an Oklahoma City issue. One of these shelters exists right here in Oklahoma City. Anybody have a guess where it is? What part of town? Yeah, we got a right by Chesapeake answer from the back, and you're exactly right. So at 63rd and Western... One of these shelters exists. It's called the Pauline E. Meyer Shelter. And its capacity is 48. And typically, on any given day, it is at or over capacity. Recently, it's been over capacity, and they've essentially, they're beginning to open up an annex to house more kiddos. So I want to kind of just juxtapose a couple of things for you. Um, we live in a town, this isn't meant to be critical, but we live in a town where we can build 50-story buildings but we can't find a home for 50 kids. We have churches, right? On every corner, you know, that gather hundreds, if not thousands, on a regular basis. But we can't find a home for 50 kids. Something's wrong, right? It's not as it should be. So there's this scripture in Psalm 68, 5 and 6, and one of the beauties and the strengths and the power of scripture is that God names himself, and he identifies himself, and he tells us who he is. We don't have that right. We don't get to go name God. Scripture does that for us. It reveals who he is, his character, his essence, his likeness, and his, his identity, and his mission, what he's up to in light of 
who he is. And his identity and his mission, they're intricately linked. But Psalms 68, 5 and 6, it says this, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, is the Lord in his holy dwelling. I want to stop there for a minute. What is this like in his holy dwelling business? Like I'm a simple guy. I just take that to mean like who is God at his holiest? In scripture again, Psalm 68 says, he's father to the fatherless, defender of widows. That's who he is. Now he's going to tell us what he's doing. So there's his identity, father to the fatherless, defender of widows. That's who he is at his holiest. That's his character, his essence, his nature, his likeness, his identity. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows is the Lord in his holy dwelling. And then he's going to reveal to us his mission. He says what he's going to do. It says the Lord sets the lonely in families. Now here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say father to the fatherless, defender of widows is the Lord in his holy dwelling. The Lord sets the lonely in shelters. Good news. The Lord sets the lonely in shelters that are run by the government so we don't have to worry about it anymore. That's not what it says. What's it say? Where does the Lord set the lonely? Where does the Lord set the lonely? Where does the Lord set the lonely? Families. I'm going to say, I'm going to ask you till I think you believe it. Where does the Lord set the lonely? The Lord sets the lonely in families. So this morning, as you woke up and lovingly got your kids out of bed and prepared yourself for the day and made your way to the vine, there were 48 kiddos at 63rd and Western that didn't have that. They, weren't, they, they, they have not been given the opportunity um, to be lovingly woken up by a mom and a dad, tenderly cared for and prepared for the day and brought to a place like this. They were calling a shelter again, run by the government. And the problem isn't the shelter and the government, right? That's easy to throw stones at. You know, the problem is our response or our lack thereof to care for them. So Christians, like we've always been the people who have long held the reputation as being the ones who care for the orphan among us. That's what scripture would suggest of us and that's what church history would say as well. It's like there are these people, followers of the way, that care for the orphan among us. And that both is and isn't true of us any longer. So I kind of want to end on a more upbeat note. Um, does anybody have any idea how many churches there are in Oklahoma? 6,100. There's 6,100 churches in the state of Oklahoma. So we believe that very realistically, if every church will commit at least one family for one purpose, then we can leave no Oklahoma child without a family. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Ben. You know, there's a very practical reason that we ask Ben to come and do this uh, with us this morning. <clears throat> I'm a firm believer that um, the gospel is is portrayed through the church. The church is the expression of the gospel, and that we have a responsibility as the church to be and express the heartbeat of God. And it can't just be like what we want to hear. The truth is, God cares for the oppressed and the forgotten and the broken. God 
loves and calls the church to love the fatherless and the widow. We have the opportunity as a church to respond in a very tangible way to the gospel. Now, for a lot of us, we're sitting here going, well, that's just, I mean, I can't adopt that so beyond me or where we are in a phase of life. There is an avenue and a way for the church to be involved from the deep commitment to the ability to support those that are engaging in this commitment. Next Sunday night at 5.30, right here in our church, we're going to have an opportunity for anybody who's interested to hear more information to come and visit with Ben and Sunbeam. Sunbeam is an organization that begins to help this process take place. They're, they're downstairs. Kelly's here. She may even be here right now. We, they'd give you information. If you're even got an inkling of saying, you know what, even if I just want to have the possibility of maybe taking a, a foster child out for a holiday um, to spend a weekend with our family, Come next Sunday at 5.30 and learn the tangible ways of the church, that we, the church, big C, the people, can begin to engage the gospel in this way. This is an opportunity we can't close our eyes to. What we're going to be pushing ourselves towards this Advent conspiracy is not simply about writing checks to different places. No, we're, going to, we're going to dig a well, which is admirable, but to saying, God, how do we deal with the gospel conviction that is right here in our own backyard with children, the children who can't fight for themselves, victims, of abuse and neglect and abandonment can be something that this church begins to wrap its arms around or maybe wrap its arms around families that wrap their arms around that as well. Next Sunday night, 5.30, we want you to come back and gather in this place and be a part of a learning process, even if it just means you want to hear more. As we walk out of this place this morning, we leave just like that. God, we can't ignore the issues at place that you call us to as the gospel church, a gospel church driven by our desires to do more than just appease me. But God, to share your heartbeat and mission with the world. Ben will be around for a little bit. He'd love to visit with you as well. We're going to pick up next week with Philippians. Continue to charge you that gospel as an expression of what this means um, for us to begin to truly live the gospel. This piece, this, this 111 Project Foster will be a system of our church, a heartbeat of our gospel-oriented life together for a while to come now, hopefully forever. Um, but it's going to begin today and push us through Advent. Let me take a moment and close us in prayer. And then as we go from this place, my heartbeat is that we wouldn't just simply say, oh, a good presentation by a very gifted communicator, but instead to say, God, what are you challenging me and my family to do or me as an individual to do? Maybe I'm not at a place where I can engage a deep process, but maybe I can help support a family financially that's about to try and engage this process. As a church, this becomes our call because it's the call of God. It's the heartbeat of God. Let's pray.